morning. Happy New Year. It is here. 2023 is here. And some of you are like, hey, it's another day. There's nothing different. And uh, I want to tell you, there will be a difference, I believe, because of what we're talking about and how the Lord is leading. is isn't about the day or the year. It's about what the Spirit of the Lord is doing. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I believe that God is inviting us into a new season of freedom individually and as a church, a new freedom to follow him, to be who he's called us and created us to be. And I'm excited about this series that I get to kick off with you today. Uh, as you think about the new year, you think about what, what is it that God may have, the reality is we don't like change, right? People don't like change. Anybody like you, you, you recognize like, yeah, I want things to be different, but I don't want anything to change, right? And we, we all know what's the definition of insanity, expect, you know, doing the same thing and expecting different results. So today we're going to look at this idea of what does it mean for a new year and to have a new approach, to actually approach things in a completely different way uh, that is a new way, but it's actually an old way. And that old way will lead to a new approach to who the Lord is, who he wants to be in our life. And I believe it'll leave, leave, uh, with, leave us with a lot of freedom. Now, maybe you are one of those people that you set resolutions, and I was looking up, like, what are the top resolutions this year for 2023? And uh, here's a slide with a few of them. Uh, majority to exercise more. I'm on that wagon, right? I'm, I'm, I'm hitched up to that. To eat healthier, to lose weight, to save more money, to spend time with family and friends, to spend less time on social media. Come on, where are you at? and to reduce stress on the job, and to reduce spending on living expenses. Now, interestingly enough, I've been checking these for a little over a decade, and there's not a lot of variation every year in what we as Americans are hoping to see different in the coming year. Oftentimes, this is very much the case. And it's interesting, again, because we want these things to change, but we don't necessarily see and welcome the approaches that might make a difference. And that's not a new thing. I, I actually looked up uh, the seven quotes, the top quotes about people that were not wanting to see change with technology. And they're kind of funny. You've got to see these. Uh, this is from Thomas Watson in 1943. He said, there, I think there is a world market for maybe five computers. Right? Some of you are watching online right now on a computer and you're able to experience this because of computers. Can you imagine? Uh, number two, it was uh, Daryl Zunick, uh, 20th Century Fox, said television won't be able to hold on to any market it captures after the first six months. People will soon get tired of staring at a plied wood box every night. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That was in 1946. Here's another one. Nuclear-powered vacuum cleaners will probably be a reality within 10 years. Uh, we know and are, we are thankful that that didn't happen, aren't we? Uh, Ken Olson, the founder of Digital Equipment in 1977, said there's no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. Uh, 1996, this is fascinating. Almost all of the many predictions now being made about the 1996 hinge on the Internet's continuing ex exponential growth. But I predict the inter Internet will soon go spectacular supernova and in 1996 catastrophically collapse. Hello. <laughs> Here's two more for you. Apple is already dead. This was said in 1997. And uh, I'm so thankful they're not. We're using a lot of Apple products today uh, it, here even to run this service. And uh, number seven, two years from now, spam will be solved. That was Bill Gates in 2004. So, so there's things that, that we see that, that we know need to change. Sometimes we don't recognize the introduction of new technology, new methods, new approaches, and we resist them. And, and what we're looking at today is, is scripture and what it has to teach us about finding freedom and to take a new approach. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 3, verses 15 through 18. This is a powerful moment that the Apostle Paul is delivering, and he's sharing about what the Spirit of the Lord has for you and I. Picking up in verse 15, it says, Yet to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. I'll pause right there. 
You see, what they had known up until Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and the giving of the Holy Spirit was the reading of the law. The reading of the law was this old approach that as it was read, what, what this is saying is that there was a veil over their hearts, their minds. They were unable to hear. They were unable to experience and to, to be invited into what God had. If you know the background, you know that Moses would often meet with God. He was the interce- interceder. He was the one that would go and, and spend time with the Lord and he would come out and his face was so lit, uh, shining. I'm not trying to sound relevant by saying the word lit, by the way. Uh, he was so shining in God's presence that he would actually put a veil on so it didn't offend or appall or overwhelm the people. So as the veil was being read, it, or as the law is being read, there's this veil that was covering that they weren't getting to experience the same thing that Moses had just encountered and experienced with a holy God who was available for him in this deep communion. This is incredible to think about. Because what you read next is where that changes. Where that changes, because that was what was, but here is what is now and is available. Verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, say turns. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Come on, church. There is freedom where the Spirit of the Lord is. And it comes by turning to him, it says. It says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Such a powerful truth, many truths within this. If you're taking notes to find freedom, we turn to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And I, I looked up, what is the, the Greek word, like what does the word there, turns, mean? And I had you say it for a reason. Guess what it means? It means to turn. <laughs> it doesn't get much deeper than that. It actually means to turn from one way, one approach, one uh, way of doing things to the Lord to actually turn to him. And, and you think about like our lives And the things that we face, the things that we want to change, the things that we know need to look different in the new year. And and what the invitation is, is to realize there is a freedom available from those things that have held us back, chained us to the past, chained us to, to whatever we've been going through. There's a freedom available when we turn to the Lord. That is a freedom that requires a little bit of effort on our part to turn, to actually turn to the Lord and to receive what he has, to not just keep doing things the way we've always done them. Come on, church. It's going to be a really good year. I'll tell you, I believe this is the 14th or 15th year. I was trying to figure it out as we were worshiping. That, that I've started the new year with the church I, I lead. I've been here a couple of years now. This is our third year doing it. Uh, did it for about a dozen years, I believe, in Michigan as well. And, and, and it was this idea that we're going to start the new year with a 21 days time of turning to the Lord and letting go of the other things. I got to tell you, I've never came into the new year with such a sense of hunger such a sense of holy anticipation on what the Lord was going to do in this next year. That's not to discount last year or the years prior. It's just to tell you, I sense something entirely different this year. And I am so excited about the hunger and the thirst that he's given me. And I'm also, in my flesh, a little bit nervous and scared. I'm human, y'all. Okay, I put my pants on like you did today, left, right leg. If you do it differently, don't tell anybody. (laughs) Like, I'm human. There's a sense I have that God is about to do something significant that I'm not ready for unless I turn to him in some new ways. So our fast, our 21 days time of prayer and fasting starts on January 9th. That's a week from tomorrow, I'm starting today. 
And I'm just putting that out there to say, like, I don't know how the Lord's going to lead you, but I know that he's got something different for me and for us this year. And I want to turn to him. And I want to let go of anything that's been getting in the way, anything I've been chained to. I want to quit depending on me. I want to depend on him. So a book written, it's hard to believe. I won't tell you when it was written. I want to read the quote first. Uh, and then I'll tell you when this was written. This is from Keith Miller. Listen to what he says here. He says, our churches are filled with people who outwardly look contented and at peace, but inwardly are crying out for someone to love them just as they are. They're confused, they're frustrated, often frightened, guilty, and often unable to communicate even within their own families. But the other people in the church look so happy and contented that one seldom has the courage to admit his own deep needs before such a self-sufficient group as the average church meeting appears to be. Whew. He wrote that in 1965. What was then true is just as true today, isn't it? That sometimes when we look around, we can look like we've got it all together. That we're self-sufficient. That we, we don't need to turn to the Lord or to anything else. We just need to, to muscle up and double down and figure it out in our own strength. I would just invite you to, to get honest. To get real this new year. To begin to, to realize like the solutions, the things that God wants to do and has aren't going to be found because you keep trying to do it in your own strength. It's going to come because you get honest and you turn to him. If you're taking notes, what we turn to determines what we turn into. What we turn to determines what we turn into. If we turn to the Lord, it says we'll be transformed into the image of the Lord to be more like him. What are you going to turn to today, tomorrow, in this new year? Secondly, if you're taking notes, what we are chained to determines what can change. What we are chained to, and, and I, I'll be the first to admit, I've realized that I am chained to this thing in ways that aren't changing me into who I want to be and what I want to become. So if I become less available, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I've become more available to him. More available to him. And I believe all of us need to look at not just this, but all of the things that these phones connect us to. The things that we chain ourselves to that create an awareness of what's going on in the world and in other people's lives and cloud out the presence of the Lord and what he has for us. I want to be less aware of what's going on in the world and more aware of his presence. I want to be chained to him because I know he's got a different approach. He's got a different way that he wants to do things. Back in the early 19th century, our country was still being founded and figured out in many ways. And there was an expedition put together, many of you are familiar. It's probably the most famous expedition, Lewis and Clark, the Discovery Corps. And, and they were actually commissioned to go west and to find out what was there and, and how to find the quickest water route. And so with canoes, they actually set out until they hit the mountains. And when they hit the mountains, they began to realize that they had a choice, right? I mean, can you picture this? Here they are trying to discover a new world, a new path, a new way, and yet they were trying to canoe the mountains, as author Todd Bollinger aptly describes in the title of his book, a book that is fundamentally about the idea of adapting to change and new approaches, that the things we have done aren't necessarily going to lead us where we need to go. And some of us, I'm just submitting to you, are chained to canoes, you're chained to phones, you're chained to ways of doing things. And God's saying, come on, it's time to turn to me and to let go. It's time for me to show you where the streams of refreshing are and in the paths that I have for you. Church, I'm excited, are you? You're like, I'm just waking up, pastor. 
I just want to actually t- pause and just pray. I'm going to just pause right now. I just want to pray over this because I, I, I realize, like, God's doing something. There's a lot here. Father, we love you. And we know that whatever you're leading, wherever you would have us go, that these new approaches are fundamentally about the freedom we find in you. So Jesus, we just invite your presence into this moment, whether we're online or in person. We ask, Holy Spirit, that we would experience more of your love, your peace, your joy, and to know that any change that you're bringing is for the good and for your glory. So Father, enter in. Break chains this year. Bring transformation this year. Have your way even now as we sense what it means to turn to you. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. One of the ways that God's people have always turned to him is through prayer and fasting. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 58. In Isaiah 58, this will be kind of our anchoring text for the next few weeks. We'll, we'll come in and out of it and, and look at what does it mean to have this approach of prayer and fasting. In 2005, I had been hired uh, full-time as a youth pastor, young adult pastor. I was on a teaching team, and, and, and it was actually a mentor that said, I want to introduce to you prayer and fasting. And I realized, like, I had heard the word, but I didn't know what it meant. I was employed as a pastor and really didn't understand prayer and fasting and what it really meant. So if you're sitting there and you're like, I don't know what it is, it's okay. It's a journey. It's a new approach. Isaiah 58, we'll look at the first five verses. I got to tell you, like the prophet Isaiah's prophets often do, doesn't mess around. He doesn't hold any punches. In fact, in many ways, these first five verses are kind of like a throat punch Like it just kind of catches you and hits you. So you ready? Like I didn't know I was going to get throat punched on New Year's Day. Yeah. It's God's word. Here we go. It's for for our good and for his glory. It says, cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if there were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. If you could see this in the original language, it's a tone that has a little bit of sarcasm, a little bit of snarkiness to it. It says, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, God says, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make you make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed, to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? If you're taking notes, prayer and fasting are old approaches that lead to a new approach. A new approach to the throne, a new approach to coming into God's presence, a new approach to finding the Lord in the freedom he has in our relationship with him and in our relationship with others. There's a number of things in these five verses that are exposed and and we need to wrestle with them and chew on them as as we think about a new approach of prayer and fasting. First, it shows us that true fasting frees us from false motives. That actually, it frees us from false motives. They were, you know, being led, it says, in fasting to have God basically do their bidding. I mean, have, have you ever done that? You pray because you want God to bless what you've decided you want to do? <laughs> Anybody? Like, we do this all the time, right? Like, it's just, and and it's this false motive of wanting God's seal of approval, God's blessing. 
And sometimes we don't even realize the motives that are driving some of our behaviors. I'm going to show you some. If we can go to the whiteboard for a minute. Team's going to help me get there. This is actually from Henry Cloud's work in in, uh, Boundaries material. He actually talks about the law of motivation, and uh, it's law number five in his material. And so I'm going to just write up here, law of motivation. Can you read my handwriting? Okay. Some of you are like, no, not at all. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So there's a circle there because I want to remind you I'm not a, your pastor is not an artist. And for some of us, there's like this blah, this mad, this, we really don't understand what's going on. And yet, I want to bring a smile and joy. Oh, okay, I'm done. I'm done trying to be cheesy. Let me actually show you his law, okay? Uh, basically, what he says is that most of us are motivated by fears, by guilt, by shame, by selfishness. That underneath those fears often is a fear of loneliness, a fear of control, a fear of approval, a fear of what will happen if I don't do this. In religious circles, we can even begin to feel motivated by things that that often aren't God and, and the freedom he's intending to bring. And what he talks about is that, that, that we know in Scripture it teaches that, that anything done apart from love, 1 Corinthians 13, is a waste of our time. That's my paraphrase. So what he says is that the other motivation, the real motivation for us as believers is meant to be love. And that, that actually underneath of, of much of what we do in life, there's a, a motivation that isn't love and therefore is bound and chained by pride, control, selfishness, fear, and other things. He talks about the movement from fear, we'll just call it on that side, that before we can really find the freedom to walk in that love that the Lord has, there's this little word that we have to begin to to look at and to understand It's the word no. And that no begins when we turn to the Lord and he begins to show us the ways we've been motivated by the wrong things. That we actually have to begin to say no to some things when we become aware in order to actually move towards the yes that he has for our lives. Does this make sense? That there's a freedom when we begin to say no to some of the things. And and I got to tell you, like, I thought I was good coming into this morning for this message. And you need to know, like, that's always a place, like, I never want to stand up here and share anything until I've processed it and started to live it. I'm not here to give you theory. I'm not here to give you ideas. I want it to be a lived theology, a lived teaching that we're walking in together. Amen? And so I thought I was good until Friday morning. And Friday morning, I'm sitting there drinking my coffee, minding my own business. Not really. I turned to the Lord. And I was in the uh, Gospel of John, and I'm journaling. And I'm beginning to lay out all the things and realize all the motivations that I had in my life. We can flip to the next slide, team that were actually not the right motivations. And it it was a moment of real honesty before the Lord that also scared me a little bit. It's funny how when we get honest and we don't know what's next, it can shake us to our core. That's a little bit of what happened to me on Friday. So I didn't react the way I probably should have. I owed my wife an apology later that day. I heard somebody say, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. I love it. And it was out of that place that I went and turned and spent more time with the Lord, a few hours, where God began to speak in and to help me to see what it was going to look like. And this is a journey away from these things 
and the wrong motivations to the right motivations. And it's worth it. He wants to deliver us of false motives. It's part of what fasting does and prayer does. Secondly, true fasting frees us from fake living. From fake living. These are the things that many of us don't even realize we do out of this place that isn't out of the overflow of peace and love and joy in our relationship. In fact, oftentimes we're serving out of a fake place. Unless we found freedom and we're walking in love and, and that freedom leads us to serve out of the right place. He wants to deliver us of these things. Thirdly, true fasting frees us from the inside out for impact. From the inside out. Talks in verse 4 and 5 about how we treat our employees. Like, how practical is scripture? Did you catch that? That, that you can sit on church, whether you're at home or in person, on a Sunday, and you can go out on Monday and forget everything you just heard and how you treat others. This is not a new thing. This was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And part of what God wants to do is invite us into a freedom where who we are now in this moment is the same person we are tomorrow and the next day and that we're living out of this place where this inside out, the presence of the Lord is impacting every sphere and aspect of our life. John Goldengay, a theologian and commentator, says this. He says, fasting is supposed to be an act of self-denial. So it should be a genuine one. These employers, he's talking about this specific passage in Isaiah 58. He said, these employers are inclined to treat people like beasts of burden, tied down and tied up. Instead, scripture is teaching us here, let them set these people free. Can you imagine what it would look like for God's people to be so in demand that if you're an employer, everyone wants to work for you because they're going to be set free to become who they were created to be. And if you're not an employer, but you're an employee, everyone wants to hire you because you're serving not out of a false motive, but out of this love that is real and lasting and everybody wants to be a part of. Church, can you see what God can do when we get him into the middle of our messes and begin to let him have his way? There's a new freedom that he gives us. So you're going, okay, been in the Old Testament. What did Jesus say about fasting? This is where we're going to finish today in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is questioned by some religious leaders about fasting. Many ways, they saw him sitting down with sinners. They saw him sharing and breaking bread and having meals. And he had a table of fellowship that they didn't like, truthfully. They, they felt convicted because Jesus was hanging out with people they weren't willing to hang out with. He loved people. Even people that were lost and broken and sinful, Jesus loved on them. So as he did that in verses 27 through 32, they're asking the question, how come you're eating? How come you guys don't pray and fast? Here's what Jesus says. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink, they say to Jesus. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in those days. I'm going to just pause right there. We are living in those days. The bridegroom Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father. And until his return or until we pass and go to be with him, we are living in those days. And what does it say? They might fast. They'll think about it. They'll decide if it fits their schedule. <laughs> Y'all still here? It hasn't even been 30 minutes yet, all right? He actually says they will fast. I say it's a commandment, but it's definitely, there's a sense of 
this kind of comes with the gig. That there's some level of walking with Jesus that isn't possible in our flesh if we aren't spending time in Jesus' presence and fasting has a way of dealing with our flesh like nothing else does. When you fast from food, when you fast from maybe a particular item, maybe for you your fast this year won't be food, maybe it'll be social media or news or movies, entertainment in general. Maybe it'll be from caffeine. God hasn't called me to that one yet. Maybe it'll, now he's going to, right? I'm going to stand up here next Sunday and be like, oh, I love coffee. I love coffee. Um, yeah, uh-oh. Uh, man, that came right out, didn't it? Uh, maybe it's from chocolate. Maybe it's from something else. Whatever it is, that deals with our flesh and what our flesh turns to for comfort. When we set those things aside, we begin to learn how to turn towards him and depend on him in new ways. So he says that's kind of a part of the gig, right? Verse 36, he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine, say new wine. New wine must be put into fresh wineskins. See, that's what prayer and fasting does. It deals with our flesh, helps us to become a fresh vessel. The new wine is symbolic of more of the Holy Spirit, more of his presence. Now, you and I have the seal of the Holy Spirit, right? We're, we're, we're filled with the Spirit at conversion if we're a believer in Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit has all of us. We have a flesh that often is fighting. And this is what prayer and fasting does, is it invites us to be a fresh vessel that he can fill in new ways. Can I get an amen? So new input equals new output if you're taking notes. New input equals new output. When we get new wine, more of God's presence, there's going to be a different output out of our life. And this is the, the, the crux of what that text is getting at, is to get more of the Spirit into our life, more of who He is and what He has. A new year, I believe, is possible with a new approach in our relationship with God. That new approach is an old approach, but it might be new for you to think about prayer and fasting. Maybe even to take this week. That's why we intentionally leave a week of space before we officially start. It's to give you time to process. Lord, what is the approach you want me to take? Are you asking me to fast a meal or two meals or, or a Daniel fast, which is just fruits and veggies? you know, and, and juices, like, and we're here to help you. If you need information, reach out to the church. Reach out and let us help supply information because we want to help you figure out the approach that the Lord is leading this year. Lastly, communion with God invites us into his presence where we find freedom and we find his plan for our lives. And this morning, hopefully as you came in, if you're here on site, you received some communion elements. If you didn't, our ushers will come around. You can just get your hand up. There's a little cup like this. If you're at home, hopefully you've had time, or right now you could grab some bread or a cracker and some juice. Because it's this communion with God that isn't just the sacrament, isn't just the act of receiving communion, but it's meant to be this ongoing relationship with God, that we turn to his presence and that he's there and he's available. What great things we celebrate at Christmas every year is Emmanuel, God with us. It's actually the, the late, and, and really in many ways, God used him in such a great way, uh, John Wesley, that on his deathbed, John Wesley said, best of all, God is with us. This sense of communion and relationship with the Lord that changes everything. We find a freedom 
to be who he created us to be and a freedom to walk forward from the things that we were chained to, the things that we had been turning to in our flesh. So as we prepare to receive communion today, it's that hunger and thirst that I hope that we have. A.W. Tozer said this, he said, similarly, the presence of God is the central fact of Christianity. At the heart of the Christian message is God himself waiting for his redeemed children to push, say push, push into conscious awareness of his presence. So let me ask you a few questions before we receive communion. Will you turn to Jesus today to find freedom, true freedom? Will you press in and push into his presence this year, not just in this moment, but in the days ahead? Secondly, will you join our 21 days of prayer and fasting? There's a link, I didn't share this earlier, but it's uh, available on our website, um, pathwayvb.com fast. You can actually sign up for the 21-day devotional, which we've written to encourage you every day as you press in, as you lean into your time with the Lord. And then the third question, if you could go back, is will you let Jesus set you free from the past to move forward into his plans for your life? See, when we come to the moment of communion with Jesus, on the day before his death on the cross, he gathered his disciples and they broke bread and he told them that this you'll receive, this you're receiving in remembrance of me. The next day, Jesus would go to the cross, six horrible hours where he took on our sins and our burdens, the sinless Holy One of God who then gave up his spirit and said, it is finished. Three days later, he rose again. His body, when we receive communion, reminds us of the price he paid, of what he did so that we could really turn to him. The juice that we'll receive in a moment as well, symbolic of his blood, the atoning sacrifice for our sins blood unlike ours because it had not experienced sin. Tempted in every way, Jesus never sinned. Holy and blameless. It's the covering for everything we've ever done. This is where freedom comes from, is coming to commune with Jesus. Coming into his presence, remembering his body, receiving and celebrating his blood. Scripture says that we're to examine ourselves, to come and to confess, to repent, which means to turn, to turn a new way. So what I'm going to do is lead us through this moment, but I'm going to create some space for each element, for you to just be with the Lord for a few seconds in his presence. As we examine, there may be some sorrow, some repentance, some confession of bringing things that we've been chained to, things we need to let go of, things we need to get free of. And then there's a rejoicing. As our team, the worship team, received communion this morning together, there was a sense, one of the leaders said, that that in fact it's out of the overflow of that act of communion that we then praise and worship him, that there's a rejoicing. So we're about to to enter into both. If you'll bow your heads. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that there's a new approach available, not just through prayer and fasting. Those are just tools. They're designed to bring us into your presence, that the veil could be removed, that we could commune with you. Thank you, Jesus, for your death on the cross, as we receive this element of bread symbolizing your body, we thank you that you were Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you for the incarnation, that you were fully God and fully man. 
So take a minute and just examine yourself, enter into his presence before we receive this together. You can take the bread in remembrance of him. Father, we thank you for your body. We want to live and breathe you. Fill us, fuel us in new ways with you. Forgive us of our sins as we follow you, Lord. The juice symbolizes forgiveness a sacrifice, a price that he paid for our sins. Scripture teaches us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them. So take a moment, just between you and the Lord, commune with him, confess anything you need to. And if you've never confessed him as Lord and Savior, now's the moment. take this in remembrance of him. Father, we thank you that your blood covers all of our sins. We thank you that you invite us to be filled with you. I pray, Lord, that as we come in to your presence, that you would continue to give us freedom to worship you, to praise you, to celebrate you, to follow you. This is your time and your moment. We give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Let's stand, let's praise him, let's worship him. If you need prayer, if you'd like somebody to pray for you or with you, our chat host is available, our team is available. You can come forward to the altar. Yo!
give me wisdom You know just what to do God, I look to you I won't be overwhelmed Give me vision To see things like you do God, I look to you You're where my help comes from Give me wisdom Cause you know just what to do And I will love you, Lord, my strength. I will love you, Lord, my shield. And I will love you, Lord, my rock. Forever, all my days. God is so good, isn't he? Um, he has a new freedom that he's inviting us into. And uh, I'm going to pray us out like I normally do. Uh, but I just asked Christina if they could lead us in another song. And here's what we're going to do. If you're a visitor, we want to just welcome you. If, you'll co- if you're here on site, if you can come out those doors to our welcome center. We've got a gift. We want to connect with you. If you've made a decision for Jesus online or in person, let us know. You've got that connect card or just come see a real person. Like, we would love to talk with you and celebrate and pray. Maybe for you, there's something you do need prayer over as we start the new year. Something that you've been chained to that you know, you just need somebody else to pray over it. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray like I usually do, a blessing and kind of ascending. But then we're going to stay and be available. I just feel like there's some of you who you need to really press in. You need to lean in a little bit more to worship and to prayer. And so you'll have the choice either way. There's no guilt or shame, right? We talked about the law of motivation. It's out of love. God's leading. Here's what I would say, though. If you are going to stay in the room, don't stay in the seat you came, that you've been sitting in. New approach. Approach. I'm going to ask that if you stay in the room to keep worshiping or to be prayed for, that you move forward at least one row, symbolically saying in this year, I'm going to find a new freedom and I'm going to keep leaning in to the Lord. Amen. Father, we thank you for an amazing start to the new year. We're going to find freedom in you, Lord, in ways that we didn't even know were possible. So I just speak that over us. I pray that as we continue to grow to be your church, that you would use us as a people who are being restored, being raised up to reach out to the world around us with your great love. Father, I just ask that whether we leave or lean in right now, that your spirit would not leave us the same way we came in. May we walk in a new freedom to be the people you've called us to be. Show us each what a prayer and time of fasting may look like this year. May we turn to you and never be the same. We thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy New Year. Let's lean in.